0: Hello, world. It's me, Dennis, and I have another conversation with Laurie B. Bell. Hello, Laurie.
1: Hello, Dennis.
0: Dear, the last time we talked, we were talking much about your herstory, Uh, going through your journey and the journey of your artistic work, and you're growing these powerful young daughters and going during this process. Tell me a little bit about what you're... What you're doing now at this time and this stage in your life? What kinds of things are are, are tickling your your fancy? And we all need our fancy tickle, tickled, yes, we do. right? Yeah. So tell tell me about some of the things because I want to talk about uh, the the your, your process and your grief work and your and and, and the work that you're, that that you're doing that is expressing itself. Uh, you know, Dennis, I
1: was
2: thinking about that this morning, and I think what I'm doing now is what I've always wanted to do, which, you know, has sort of, it never felt right for me to say, well, what I want to ultimately do is nothing, (laughs) but I I love not having to work.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I'm not working now. I retired basically. Um, my, my career was in special event planning and then, you know, I worked for Austin city limits here and then I worked for Lucy Baines Johnson yeah. for two years. And that was, so once I was able to stop working, i loved it. So what that means for me is that I take lots of art classes. I love to do art. I didn't study art, but I, I probably should have um, because it's really just about the only thing I'm really very good at. Mm-hmm. Um.
0: Weren't you good at event planning, whether you I liked was. it or not?
2: I was very good at event planning. I'm very detail-oriented, and event planning it requires a lot of creativity.
0: Absolutely. I mean, to really to, to get the ambiance, to get everything, and get all the people together, to get all the gears and the uh, working, all the different pieces so that it looks smooth and flawless.
2: Exactly. And, you know, people always say, whoa, how fun. Uh, you're having fun. I'm not. (laughs) I'm working so you can have fun. Um, But yeah, I, you know, and I did a lot of meeting planning for the Texas A&M University system. That was a very busy job for me, um, for the chancellor there. But so anyway, I have this awesome husband who said, no, you don't have to work anymore. So I quit that day.
0: So in doing that, in doing that, you said, okay, I want to look at my vistas and see what my vistas are. And your artistic, what are the different medium, mediums, the different ways that you're taking? Because you're not just doing it, you're also doing it with people.
2: Yeah, I guess that's true, I am. Um, I've always been a singer, as I told you, so I still sing a lot. Yes. And um, right now, I'm taking an acrylic course online, but I love working with colored pencil. I'm always taking a class at Laguna Gloria. They're close by. I love that campus. It's just so wonderful there. I love that art school. I've probably taken 25 classes there in the last 15 or so years, although right now, they're not doing classes. So I'm taking um, an online class and I'm working with a, um, I'm working through a grief festival. So, and I'm doing art through that. So I'll, I'll back up a little bit. When I was a single mom for 11 years. yeah. And during that time, I got very depressed at one point. Um, I just didn't see much of a future for myself. I was working so hard. And I know intuitively that for me to get out of a depression, I have to help others. So I've always been fascinated with death. Um, I studied, you know, on my own back in the late 80s and 90s, Thano Musicology. I think they have a different name for it now. It's Thano something. There's singing people across the bridge, if you will. And so I became really fascinated with that. So I've always been fascinated with hospice and that whole movement. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm, I'm gonna get my hospice certification. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anybody in it, but I found out that I could go through this 40 hours training. Yes. And I thought, I'll just do that and see where it takes me. You know, I'm yes. not gonna commit to volunteering I don't know if that's something I really want to do, but so I took the course, and it was maybe the second day in, it was, oh, this is so where I want to be, because it was like, I get to work with angels, and the people who work there are angels, those who are so dedicated, and I just loved it. I'm getting chills just talking about it. I, I loved those people. I loved being there. So, I finished my training and I went and I worked with patients, but it was hard for me because I was working full time, more than. So I ended up helping a woman that um, I could go do things for her in the evening, and then on the weekends, my gr- I would take my little daughters over there, my two little girls, and we would clean her house. And we got her a hospital bed. I ended up having this patient for a year, which was interesting. But I went by her house every week and took her garbage out. But I caught on to this new program they were starting in bereavement. They didn't have a bereavement department. But I got really interested in this and working with the bereaved. And I could do it in the evenings. Yes. So they trained me. This was in College Station. It was the Brazos Valley Hospice. Mm-hmm. And they trained me in bereavement work. And so I started facilitating, or really co-facilitating and training in these groups that they were forming. And it wasn't very long after that that I ended up coming to Austin, moving to Austin. So I contacted Hospice Austin, and I did some work for them for a while. And I, they have a wonderful children's program, Camp Braveheart. It's a children's camp, it's a three-night overnight camp that they do um, for children who have lost a loved one. And so I became a a counselor for Camp Braveheart, and I just kind of, it just sort of unfolded. They have a beautiful bereavement department. It's huge, and they do amazing work. I mean, they are three people, so it's not that huge, right? But they do a, a wide variety of bereavement support. So for the last eight years, I have been very immersed in Hospice Austin, and I, so I sing at their memorial services, um, which now are online. Mm-hmm. I, um, I do evening groups, I do day groups, they do eight-week-long groups for loss of spouse, loss of parent, loss of sibling. Um, so I'm always doing an eight-week group where I get. Eight to 10 people. And then um, right now, I, well, for the last five years, I've been doing what they call a drop in. Every week, anybody can come with any type of grief. It's non specific. And so I've been doing the drop in for Hospice Austin for five years. Yeah. And so they've got me doing it online now. So I'm doing an online grief group. And then this Reimagine Festival that um, I was mentioning is. Reimagining Life, Love, and Loss. And just a huge variety for three months of online workshops. I've, I've sung with Karen Drucker. I've done art. I've done yoga. I dance with a lady in Argentina. I, um, I've meditated with a Buddhist monk in Thailand. Um, the, the, it, I've meditated on my own death and imagined my own death.
0: Exactly. You would have to if if this is the one of the things, Laurie, that I'm so glad we're talking about this, because at 72, my death is, is more real to me than it was. And I was terrified as a child of my own death. Of my when I realized there was such a thing as death, and realized it absolutely terrorized me, and I, I mean, every time I would fly, I would just feel this. So I've been doing this work all the way all my life, coming to the point of of the piece for that. As as you, I even got a chance to meet Elizabeth Kubler Ross out in, uh out, out in um, California at a ranch, and the the opportunity for us in the west is like we 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 don't have this framework for talking about death we don't have this framework for for being there when people die which is such a common absolutely common experience for all of us and thank god that you're there to help us create that thank
2: you thank you it's It's very special work for me. And, you know, people will say, oh, I don't know how you do that. How do you do that? Well, we all have our calling, don't we?
0: Exactly.
2: So this one just seems to be mine. Um,
0: So share with with me your journey in your own death and imagining your own uh, process. I I have, um, please.
2: I have had a vision since I was very little of my own death, not of the actual dying process, but where I end up, what happens as soon as I leave my body. And it's so beautiful and so special that I know I'm not, my soul is not going to die. You know, it just, I just know it. So. Right from the start, I'm I'm not afraid when I'm imagining my own death because I feel like I know I'm going to be okay. Uh-huh. I think one of the reasons people really suffer, struggle with death is the pain aspect of it. So, and of course me too. I don't want to be in pain. Sure. Um, so I, I I try to study a lot about that and what's happening to the soul if we are experiencing great pain. But I haven't really meditated on that. But I just imagine myself in a beautiful, cool place. Where do I want to be today? If I were going to choose, where would I be? Where would I go? I would go to my bedroom. I love my bedroom. And I would open all the windows, and the breeze would be blowing, and the white curtains on my windows would just be blowing. I have tons of windows in my bedroom. And then everybody I love is standing around me, and they're singing to me and holding my hands and touching me. And I know those are my Hildy girlfriends. Those are my sister friends. Yes. They're all going to be there, you know, in one way or another. So yep. I imagine them all with me whispering in my ear and, you know, just inviting me to cross and that they'll walk with me um, and guide me to the door. And I, I, I see it as something really beautiful for me. Or um, the likely oh, it's not going to be like that.
0: But. Well, but, but there, there is, but it is Oh, I mean the details might be different, but the but the uh but the underlying premise is is how it's going to be. Now for those who who remain on this plane, dealing with that, I I when when my mother died, I, I had this sense of it was like it was like she has a different area code like i don't have her telephone number it's just a different area code but it's it's just that i just don't have that that was that was my sense of it at that uh, at that time in my early 20s and so it it never it just it's like there are planes and differences but it's a wall to me so dealing with the grief of of those who who remain and helping them feel some kind of uh, of sense of both uh, closure and continuation and all. What, uh, can you talk a little about that, please?
2: Yeah, I, I think the pain is not with the dying. It's with the living. You know, the dead, they're gone. They're happy. It's those left behind that are suffering. Yeah. They're the ones that need the help, right? Right. Um, I can't, unfortunately, I don't ever talk about God or oh, death is awesome, and they're all right here with you, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, a lot I like seems, that really sure.
1: Yeah, that.
2: <laughs> You know, even though I want to, I want to tell
1: him he's not gone. Yep.
2: You know, I just have to be there. That's really the best thing we can do with the grieving is to listen to them. And like you said, in our culture, we're not taught anything about death. We're taught to avoid it.
0: It's in the closet, exactly. We we even have medical people who who, who, who see death as as the ultimate loss.
2: Exactly. Let me shove a tube down your throat and plug you in, and we're going to be okay. And other cultures don't do that. You know, there's the moaning and the wailing, and other cultures have ways. Even the Jewish culture, they sit shiva. You know, they at least set aside three days to grieve. We don't, you know, we might give you a week or two weeks off at work and that's it. We want you back at work. And let's, we're not going to talk about it. People Mm -hmm. don't want to talk about death and it's so sad. At first, the people I work with, you know, they're inundated. Oh, I'm so sorry. And of course, we talk all the time about the inappropriate things that are said to them. And we don't know, you know, we're trying. But if you've not experienced it, Mm -hmm. you don't know what they're feeling. We certainly haven't talked to anybody about it. So we don't have a clue what grief is like. And when grief hits, it's a tornado. It's hard. And it's just so startling because we're, we're unprepared. Yep. And really, all I can do is listen and tell them the very best thing I can ever say to someone who's grieving is you're not going crazy. That's what they want to hear, and I used to make 50 calls a week to those who've lost loved ones for, for hospice. And awesome. I did that for a year, and um, we follow up with everybody who lost someone, and just to see how they're doing. We wait about a month to six weeks. The best thing I could say to anybody that I called is that you're not going crazy, and they just burst out crying. Oh my God, I can't believe you said that. I'm I've just been really thinking that I'm going crazy, and grief is crazy it's a crazy ride so i practice holding space mm-hmm. you know and and my prayer when i go into these things is that let me be an instrument of your peace and i just it's not easy for me it's hard for me to always be there and hold space i'm kind of a teacher and i want to talk to him and tell him, you know <laughs> And I wanna say, well, let me tell you about that failing. Yep. But you know, I hold that. Oh, what sure a
0: perfect, what a perfect lesson for you as a teacher to have to learn this and continue to practice this. What a holy thing for you to be doing. Thank
2: you. It it's constant, Dennis. It's constant for me to. I'll, I'll never be as good at it as I want to be. It, it's a constant learning process. And I'm Isn't that wonderful?
0: I go. think that is so inspiring to me, Laurie, because, because I do not want to be ever as good as I could ever be because <laughs> there would never be a place to grow. I always want that beginner's mind to be, I wonder what I'm going to learn from this conversation with Laurie Bell today. What am I going to learn about myself? What 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 if I could show up with as much of a beginner's mind and sit with this holy presence and 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 and, and learn and grow and not have this three 12 point agenda that I want to da, da, da.
2: Right. And I think everything I've done in my life consciously has been to learn something. You know what? Am what am I going to learn from this? That's just how I look at stuff. You know, yep. what am I going to learn from this depression? Yep. Um, I learn how to care for others. Yep. So yeah, you're exactly right. It's that beginner's mind, and you know, ego's constantly telling me, "Oh, you already know that." Well, you know, I'm going to hear something I don't know. Um, I, I, I've been a twelve stepper for thirty years. You know, in Al-Anon. <laughs>
0: and, Absolutely. You know,
2: yeah, okay, may yeah, I
0: do yeah. the Alanon on salute?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Having uh, been an adult child of an alcoholic and in 12-step for over 25 years, I feel qualified to be able to be part of this.
2: There you go. It's like when is an addict lying, when their mouth is moving? <laughs> 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 I've always said I'm, a, I'm an addict magnet. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of them. And my, my mother was. Well,
0: you have now met another one and we're, we've got another one here. So let's go for it, babe.
2: High five. Yeah. So one of the things that I learned there that I've always kept with me is take what you like and leave the rest. Amen. Right? So I go into these things. If I take one thing away, I've been blessed. That's I right. may sit in a lecture for three hours and it's junk. Oh, but I'll hear one thing. Yep. Okay, that was worth my time. So that's how I try to approach working with the hospice bereaved. Or bereaved yep. in general is just you. Be my teacher. What do you, you know? Speak to me and tell me what you need. And my my gift would be if I can reach that. Is to receive that gift and take that piece and not think I know more than you because I don't. I've never been as bereaved as you. I've not lost a husband or a child.
0: And you certainly not have have lost that husband or that child.
2: Precisely.
0: That's the individuation. No one can say, Oh, I know what you're going through. Because that was a that was a unique joining. At that opportunity and it deserves its own unique bereavement.
2: It's so true. And you know, people will come in. I always do this with my first meeting. When I do an eight week group, everybody talks about their experience and it's heartbreaking and it's, it's devastating and it can be so painful. And I have to tell them, you're going to hear other people's stories and you may be tempted to judge your own grief based on somebody else's grief. But let me tell you now, all grief is, the worst grief in the world is yours. And so, because I have people drop out all the time. I'll lose two or three every time. Sure. So I try to warn them, you know, these feelings are going to come up. You're going to think, oh my grief is either so much worse than yours or gosh, you're so much worse than I am. I'm better off. I I don't need this. Everybody's grief is, is painful. Nobody's grief is worse than anybody else's. And the worst grief is your own and I've seen and heard tragic stories, but then I get to see this amazing strength in these people and Mm. the will that they have to pull it through. And I've had probably over the years, four or five people that I've worked with turn around and become hospice volunteers. So that's, that's to me is always really rewarding. You know, that something right happened with them and now they want to be able to share that.
0: So, so in, in, in your process, Laurie, do you, in order to let go of and not retain their own pain and this, so that you do, how do you cleanse your, yourself so that you're, that, so that you know that it it's not yours?
2: Right. And that's a practice too, isn't it? With anybody not to take on their energy. I, when I'm going, when I was, Going to actual hospice offices or Christopher House, um, where I sang to the dying there mm-hmm. for many years. Um, you know, that's there. Are you familiar with Christopher House? Nope. It's that is Hospice Austin, which is the only nonprofit hospice in Austin, um, and I'll only work with nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher House used to be a home for AIDS. Um, sufferers Yep. and so it kind of got marked with this big x you know back in the 80s when this was first but eventually Absolutely. Austin got it and it is a beautiful beautiful facility way out MLK that's got 12 beautiful rooms with a big queen-size bed for family every room has its own balcony or open patio that something that they painted a mural on an artist there's a beautiful pond with fish and it's so peaceful and all day long they have horses coming in literally dogs a lady roams the hall with a harp. whatever your desire is um they try to meet it there for you at christopher house you can bring your own dog your own animal they can stay in bed with you um it's just no holes barred and it's a beautiful beautiful place to be and so when i i swear when i would walk out of Christopher house, I really felt like I was walking on air. I felt mm-hmm. and that's not an over-exaggeration. I felt like the angels were carrying me out. So yep. what I, what I do or what I try to do, and I'm not doing this online and I need to, and um, it's just sit in my car before I go in and just say a little prayer. Um, and it's always, you know, may I be an instrument of your peace. Mm-hmm. May I sit, may I hold space. May the words that I speak be of help to others in some way. And so then I kind of have a little cage that I put myself in that I've imagined. It's my boundary and I set up my boundary. And so then when I go in, you know, I I do my thing. And then when I come back out, I try to sit and, and give thanks and reflect on what I've heard, maybe what I took away. What I'm doing now online as I'm writing, I have to take some time after my groups um, to just sit and be and not carry it with me. Um, sometimes they stay with me. You know, I, I tend to have a real soft spot in my heart for single moms, <laughs> I'm sure because I was one, um, and young girls, I, I seem to always be mentoring a young girl. And um, couple of times that it's been really hard for me to let go of some of the people I've worked with and I'm not supposed to follow up with them. I have to stay away from them and I've had them invite me. I have groups that continue to meet after eight weeks and like one of them will go they go to the Broken Spoke and go dancing and that's how much they bond with one another and they always invite me and I always have to say oh I really want to but I can't come you know but I like hearing stories about how they're doing You know, it's wonderful to hear that. And I'm attached to a young girl right now that I'm working with. And she's a single mother young, who's now at home with an eight year old autistic daughter that the father took care of, not the mother. And so dad's gone and it's hell for her. She's having such a hard time. And you know, she's secluded with this child who can't get out. So what I've been doing is going over and sitting in her backyard And little Zoe is inside, I can see her through the sliding glass door, and I've I've sat there for over three hours a couple of times and just let mom go, let her leave. And we just stay in touch. And one time she sat by a swimming pool with a friend and had a margarita, you know, but that's kind of a way I've been able to stay in touch and just do something that I feel like I'm doing more than just listening to you, I'm helping you. Mm makes
0: sense but it does to me it does to me Uh, it's interesting that you would be that you would be impelled uh, to to women and and to the women's work that you're doing and especially knowing that clay and clay is going through his journey with with those of us who identify uh as as male or or and as we're healing our 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 energy here do you feel this uh, this feels to me to be a a transformative time for women on the planet that this is something extraordinary is happening so deeply needed that is going on could you give me some of your perspective on what your your your, your sense of this uh, because it, it feels so clear when i'm with you uh, uh, that that this this divine feminine energy that has this this your warriorness and the warriorness of the women around the world that are standing up and claiming their space.
2: Right. Well, in order for me to help other women, I have to claim my own warriorness. Right. So that's been my journey. I think since knitting to Austin, Austin has transformed my life. Um, and then this group of women that I'm a part of—that they have lifted me, Hildy Girls. And you know that for those of you who don't know what it is, it's just people think it's a singing group, but it's not. It, it's a pretty amazing group of women. We've had over 400 women in 20 years be Hildy Girls.
0: And, and what is it? What is it called?
2: Hildy Girls. It was Hildy Girls. by a woman in Austin, Susan Lincoln, and her husband's a big local musician, well known. She was an opera singer, and she went to Hildegard, Saint Hildegard uh-huh.
1: um, Abbey,
2: in Germany, Bonn, Bingen, Germany, and she sang in her abbey, in her chapel. Hildegard wrote music. She was a 13th century um, cloistered nun who was just five years ago claimed uh, declared the uh, Doctor of the Church. So. How many centuries later they finally recognized Hildegard? She started hospice. Coincidentally, she was the first one to ever have a hospice, and which is not why I, I joined this. But she, um, she was a beautiful artist. She channeled. She channeled beautiful music. She mm. was a book, and she became an emissary for the cat for the Catholic Church. They let her out of her sequestered um, existence to talk to the men of the church. So she became kind of the impetus for going back and Susan starting this group of women, she called them Hildegard girls. And at first they just sang Hildegard's music, which is hard and beautiful. Um, But then it evolved over the years. They write their own music. We sing like, I know, you know, Karen Drucker is, she's like a unity simple. We sing songs of love and peace from around the world. And Mm. we also love one another. And it's some girls call it girl church. Yeah. We always, we sit on the floor. We don't have music. You don't have to audition. All women have a voice. That's the premise. All women can sing. We all have a voice. Let us sing for love and peace. And so we support one another in amazing support groups. Sometimes during our sessions, we will lie in each other's laps and sing to each other while we're petting each other. And then whisper special things in each other's ears. And I mean... I have a beautiful example that I'll go that I'll t- tell you real quick. You know, I've had terrible self-esteem all my life. And when I, I'm such a perfectionist. So we did a yes. concert and I messed up the concert. I, I had a solo and I messed it up. So when we went back to our meeting a week or so later, I apologized to everybody. It was about 40 women. Um, and you said, I, I feel so bad. And, and so Susan said, well,
1: let's just fix that.
2: <laughs> and she started singing that song and everybody joined in and, you know, and everybody was saying, too. Uh, we didn't even notice, but okay. So everybody joined in and then they gave me the opportunity to do my solo again. So I just did my solo spontaneously. All those girls stood up and screamed and clapped and gay and hugged me. It was. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. It was the most precious gift I've ever been given. And it, they loved me just for who I was and however I showed up. And that's how we are with all of us. And it's the most amazing network of women I've ever experienced. When,
0: I, you, that, when you talk about that that self-esteem, that each of us, differently carry into our lives as we're dealing with that especially those of us who have had wounds and we're dealing with with the healing in this are you noticing can you tell a difference in the healing of your low self-esteem and getting it into a more resilient place than it was two years ago three years ago. I mean, can you actually, can you, can you actually, if we were to look at the charts and look at that, could, can, could you actually see a change in your self-esteem and, and how kind you are to Laurie when she screws up, when she, how loving you are, when she does something just wonderfully when she's absolutely ordinary, that it's cool. That, that, that's the that's such a, a big piece in my in my life
2: It is it, yeah I, I I was raised in a household where I was pretty much told I wasn't any good and I wasn't good enough, and you know we carry that through our lives. Yes, Dennis, the answer to that is unequivocally yes I because I am around people who reflect that for me. Yes. They treat me the way I want to be treated. And so how can I not treat myself the same? They see beauty in mm. me. They yes, see you could.
0: I I I'm I'm, I'm I want to stop you there because yeah. if you Yes, you could do it, but you're willing to do the hard work. It's hard work to offer ourselves compassion. Sure. This is hard freaking Work. It requires us to go into that. That's what those 12 steps are about. That whole the, the the whole piece about that is whether or not am I going to treat myself as compassionately as the 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 my higher power, which is pure absolute love. Am I willing to treat myself that, or do I have the ego that says, uh-uh, no, I am not that. I am not pure love. I'm just love. I mean, how arrogant is that of me? I mean, to have that right. kind of arrogance.
2: Right. Well, you know, if I believe that others are a mirror of, of me, you know, that what I see that in you that I don't like, whoa, I better turn around and check that.
1: Right. <laughs> over, and over.
2: And I know how to do that. <laughs> But also there's a flip side. If I see beauty in you, there must be beauty in me. And as I am growing and, am opening, I am even more capable of seeing the beauty in others. I truly believe we are all one. And wow. I'm trying really hard right now to make that connection to feel I am one. But when I see beauty in you, Dennis and kindness, then I know that I must have that as well because you were reflecting that back to me, right?
0: What a I, what, what a what a what wisdom! Oh Laura, you're so right. That's because I, it can't. It has to be both ways. It can't you know, be. Probably. It can't be. But, but but we forget that. It's very easy for us to forget that the magnificence that I see has to be a resonant and have, have the same kind of capacity within me.
2: Exactly. And that's what my circle of women friends here do for me. They continually right. remind me. I think if you don't have a witness, it is harder to convince yourself that I'm great. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm exactly how I'm supposed to be and perfect in my own, exactly. in my own being.
0: And I love the word, I, I love the word perfect, it, the definition of perfect as being complete. Yeah, it's It's just, it's whole. It's complete. That's the, it doesn't mean it's without flaws. It doesn't mean it does not have challenges or this, but it is complete.
2: Exactly. I, I'm, I'm also in another group of women. We call ourselves the Avalon Mystic Circle, and it's kind of women from Hildy Girls who want to take it deeper. And we, um, we go to a- Avalon as uh, some land that a friend of ours has and with a yurt on it. And we meet at Avalon and to love Avalon. It's about loving the land and getting back to nature. And the women in this group with me are really, I mean, they're way up there. Much, much more so than I am.
0: Why? But Why would you say that? Is there any other way to say that? Let's re-say it just for fun between us, the two of us, and say it another way.
2: In another way, thank you. I'm so not articulate and these women show up and they can spout all this amazing stuff that they read and I'm just yep. I've come to be comfortable with the fact that I just know. I can't tell you how or why. I just know it. And that doesn't mean I'm I'm great or anything. I no. just and I I'm kind of a a sponge for information, but I don't it is. I love all right, now today. all I
0: say is this: is that for whatever reason, Laurie Bell, you articulated so profoundly to me. Oh. So even though you may not feel it, you may not feel that that you have ex- exactly the same way. But there is something about your voice and your story and the way that you articulate that resonates in my soul like a gong, like this gong of peace that lets me have an avenue of compassion for Dennis that had I not spent time with you, I would have had a much harder way through. You, you have uh, your presence uh, break, helps me break down those walls that I have between me and my more compassionate self, my lo- more loving self than than before. So whatever words you may or may not be, think you are using, they are having that impact on me, Laurie Bell. Wow. Thank you.
2: That's, that's great. <laughs> that makes me feel good about myself
0: well and that's that 's the that 's the I just wanted to give you a real time example of the experience that I am having
1: hmm.
0: when I get a chance to spend time with you
2: wow and that 's what I would want you know that people just feel good around me exactly
0: out. that they have that and that 's what and, and, and so so this this circle of women when we're when we 're talking about raising women on the planet you know I mean it's like for example during COVID we look at the we look at the be- the countries that are doing the best and so many of them are being led by women that are doing and, and it appears as if we're going to have to be doing some kinds of healing right now on the planet that is much more systemic than just out a, at a at a superficial level are you getting that same sense and are are the sisters that you're talking with getting the same sense
2: absolutely i mean it's impossible to describe i think to a man in a way what we go through as a woman you know it, it it's nothing compared to what if i were a black woman but and i'm a white privileged woman so i don't even know the scope of it do i Um, but it's, it's been, you know, I think for a lot of women, this whole movement, this Me Too movement has been very affirming because it's like, oh yeah, I remember when I worked for that guy in college and he drove me to a hotel and told me we were going to have to stay there for the night. And I was so scared I was going to be fired or whatever. But now I can look back. Of course, I didn't stay. And I knew I was going to have to quit my job when I made him take me home. But now it's like, that wasn't me. Right? I was a victim. And that is so insidious for women. It's constant. Constant. And if you yes. look at like these, like a madman or a uh, movies from the 60s, I was watching an old movie the other day. And every time a woman turned and walked away, all the men would oh, you know, and yep. and so the women's movement has made I think all of us much more aware that well, yeah, I was right when I felt like that was the wrong thing for you to do. Exactly, you know? and, and and no, you didn't have a right to do that to me. And and that. You know, I, my daughter has an amazing story around all of that that, you know, if you ever talk to her, she may tell you about it.
0: Which daughter? Which, which daughter? Because I'm going to talk to them both. So I just want to know on, on that. But, uh, continue. I'm, 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 I'm going to work, work, work my way through conversations with, uh, with these, with these uh, mother and daughters.
2: The Bell Bells?
0: Yep. The Bell Bells.
2: <laughs> my daughters are incredibly remarkable women. Um, but, yeah, Emily. She's a singer-songwriter. Honey.
0: honey. Apple tree.
2: Oh, oh! Thanks. Well, you know, we raise our children to be better than we are, right? Isn't that you wonderful?
0: Know? I mean, so that we can pass along to them that you know, it's it's like a relay race where you where you go and then you pass the baton so that you can pass it along and so that they have because what you, when you were being raised told that you were worth less, you have then the opportunity. Uh, with your two daughters to say, you are worthwhile. And then, and it's not, you know, it's that old expression that that uh, Robert Fulgham from that kindergarten, he says, don't worry that your kids aren't listening to you. Worry that they're always watching you. Mm,
1: that's good.
0: So, they had to watch you build your self esteem from the ground up doing it. They had to watch that happen, that in process, that ugly, that not ugly, but that messy, that messy one step forward, two steps back, mm-hmm. one step forward, stagger, stagger, go, it's a mistake, or, uh, get, get, which is what self esteem building is all about. It's not we know it's it's not pretty it requires a lot of work but they got to see you do that so therefore then they could go "Aha! huh okay now we can take what we're learning and then move
2: and you know I think they did they're incredibly strong independent beautiful women so yeah when I look at them I do somehow think I learned something right or did something right but again it's like it was kind of like, don't do what I do,
0: do what I say. <laughs> yeah, well, but that, yeah, and and that's part of the process. But that's where we're that's where we're continuing, where the evolution, where the uh, the evolution is coming, and and the, the there is a uh, there there is a growth in women. I mean, you know, when I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, my mother was a very powerful dynamic woman uh, actually she was college educated she had a, a job and I remember going into a furniture store with her as a single mom and then the the furniture manager who knew her the owner of the store said you know I would love to give you this on the installment plan but you're gonna have to get a man to come in oh. and sign it because legally now I'm 72 so this was in the 50s legally she could not even sign an installment loan contract on her own as a single woman. So, all right, here we go. Fast forward to today, we have, not only have we had a woman run for president, but we now have another woman running uh, for vice president, an Asian, uh, an, uh South Asian uh, woman of color who is... Uh, Dynamic and so, so we're seeing movement here. How are you seeing it from inside of the circle, both of the both in the in the in the uh, Girls Circle and in this circle? Are you are, 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 what is the what are the conversations, the heart conversations going that that are we seeing the progress?
2: You know that's that's interesting because it makes me think. Sometimes people think we, we man bash.
0: Oh, for God! What, what a, what an awful, what, what, what an awfully small way of looking at it. That is so small. I mean, good God, you guys are are, are so much more powerful than that.
2: Thank you. Well, we're raising ourselves up, but we don't hate men. We want, <sighs> we want men to see us. That's Idea. all we want, and That's... and to join us in humanity. We're just as much a human being as you are. And, you know, let me be, I'll accept you, you accept me. And,
0: and we're going to be better together.
2: Absolutely. That's absolutely. the whole deal. That's right. And and I think the women that I associate with see that. We love men. We're growing. We're trying to bring you along. And I think it's the men like my husband, Clay, who can say to me, I really believe you see something I don't. Yes. And I will follow you. I will listen to what you say. Because, I mean, and I don't mean to be sound smug, but I really think women should be running this world.
0: I am and so they, glad to hear you say that. It, it, is, it is really, that is really important.
2: I get angry with men. I get angry with testosterone. I hate war. And war is masculine. It's all about the men. They want what you have, and so they're just going to come over and kill you and take it. I don't understand that. Because we fail
0: we... to talk about it. We fail to work out an equitable agreement without having to jump in and, co- and kill, because there can be no other reason why other than just being pure, pure, infantile, not infantile, toddler acquisitive, toddler mine and grabbing grabbing a, a, a rattle out of someone else's hand and just ripping it away, it does not get beyond that as a concept if you were having to go into war.
2: Exactly. And then here are the women, and we're losing our children, and we're losing our husbands, and we don't want to fight.
0: And our daughters. Because of we're course. losing our yeah, daughters yeah. In, in in the war not only through, through through the actual combat because women are now but but, but in, in all of the ancillary uh, challenges that happen whenever whenever war happens
2: right so I yeah I'm, I'm pretty angry with men and, um, me from too. that standpoint.
0: I I and you know and, and this is what's so funny. I am so over old white men. I am so if I mean for me for me to be I am so over us. I am just so I I, I want to see how I, I want to be part of the, the redemption of uh old white men that we can that we can reclaim our uh peaceful elderhood in being part of the process rather than where we are right now so but but it has to we we have to go through it because because it's it it just ain't working the way it is
2: and the change is so slow you know when i was younger i would look oh look at all those old men up there i can't stand those men but when i'm that age things are going to be different all the men of the 60s and 70s they're going to run the country and it's going to be great no there's still really crappy men up there. What happened? (laughs) Where did they come from?
0: Uh,
2: It's politics though too, isn't it? But it's all over the world. It's
0: it's all over the world. This is, this is, this is a human thing that we're going through. Yeah. Uh, Clay and I talk about this a lot on the different podcasts that we have is that we're talking about the, 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 Patriarchy has become so toxic that it's toxic for both men and women that it is now a toxic system this just it's systemic but but the thing is is that with nature abhorring a vacuum, we need we need something to fill this we need something that can fill it with the compassionate male and the powerful warrior female. Those aspects that can come, that that can rise, that can then together create a systemic, uh, some some kind of a a system going forward. I don't know what, how to name it. I don't even know if naming it would be. Because it seems like anytime I name it, it's like God. You say the word God, and you've immediately you immediately encapsulated it in a way that it, it's much bigger than just the word. So
1: nice there is that.
0: something here of communication and collaboration and togetherness that I get to be with you and all of the all all of our sisters and all of our brothers. That is that is much bigger. Than something that I can do. And it is doable. It is absolutely doable.
2: It's slow. You know, I believe that our planet is turning, we're shifting into a, a higher consciousness. I think that's what our planet's being called to do. We're rising our conscious level. What how do I say? Just our level of consciousness. We're moving into a, another field of consciousness. I think it's going to take a while, but I think that's where we're starting. And I think when women have always been told to suppress their masculinity, right? And we know that we're both—we're yin and yang, we're masculine yep. and fe- feminine—and so that's what's caused us to feel so oppressed because we do have we do have masculine aspects, right? And that's the leadership that women can come. And and provide yep. that we've been told, no, you can't. You're not as good as we are. So um, I don't, that I'm not tying that together very well, but I think it's just a shift in consciousness.
0: It is total. It is a total shift, and I think that you said it beautifully, Laurie Bell. Thank you for this second opportunity to to have a conversation with you. Is that we can continue to do? Please, uh, please continue to share with me. Uh, your journey, and, and your love, and your light, because you inspire me to my higher, more gentler, more beautiful self. To be, when by being around you, that which is why I wanted to talk with you in the first place is because that was what I needed today. Today was a wonderful day. And so when it's a wonderful day, that's the time to dig deep and get in there and bring the light. I've never seen a time that sunshine is my only d- disinfectant. That's the only one that I've been able to really, and by being open with you and and sharing with you it's, it's, it's astonishing, just the space you hold.
2: Gosh, thank you so much. I feel that about you. I just love you. Your presence is so beautiful and radiant. It's radiant.
0: Together we can, Laurie be Bell.
2: <laughs> I see something really, really, really special and deep in you that I, I just feel it. And I love being around you. And so
0: this thank is a you.
2: real thrill for me to get to know you better and spend time with you so thanks
0: you're welcome and laurie b bell we will see you next
1: time yes you will